Electricast. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to episode 114 of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. Today's guest comes to us from our good friends over at Interview Valet, and her name is Brandy McCarley. Brandy is an employee alignment executive advisor who works with CEOs and business owners on clarifying the cultural dynamics within their companies and finding the right employees for each role. She excels at assisting leaders in any industry to determine how to better communicate, manage, and motivate individuals based on how they are hardwired. By developing diverse, high-performing teams that can scale and drive revenue and profit goals, Brandy optimizes organizations from the top down, driving executives and owners to use analytics instead of instincts to scale and transform their organizations. Now, we have a great conversation coming up here because we talk a lot about finding the right people, identifying what the right team should look like, and making sure that you use those right people on the right team to really move the organization's goals forward. Brandy has a ton of insight that she shares with us in this show, so there's not much more I can say here other than here's the stinger and here's a great interview with Brandy McCarley. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon, and today I've got a very special guest for y'all, fellow uh, Tennessean, Miss Brandy McCarley. Brandy, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Earl. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's always great to talk to another Tennessean, even if you are, you know, from the other end of the state, I won't hold it against you. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Yeah. So listeners, we almost could not be from further points in the state and still be in the same state. So uh, so this is going to be a good conversation. And, and you know, it highlights, uh, you know, kind of that difference, right? You know, a lot of people don't understand the reason Tennessee's got those three stars on it is because we have three distinct sections, the east, the middle, and the west. And well, you got the East and West here on this show, so it's going to be a great conversation. Uh, with that in mind, Brandy, I'm kind of curious to hear your answer to the very first question I ask everybody on this show. The phrase burden of command, what does that mean to you? Well, actually, actually Earl, it's really quite interesting because when, initially when I heard the phrase and I read everything, I was like, the burden of command. When I immediately think about the word command, I was a huge Scandal fan when Scandal was on. Did you ever watch Scandal? I, I caught a few episodes here and there. Okay, so you know uh, uh, Kerry Washington's dad on the show, he was, you know, the command over this um, I guess CIA operative of secret agents. And so when I think about the word, you know, command, that's immediately what came to my attention. But even really on a larger scale, when I normally, when you hear the word command, it's, it makes me think about like old military movies that I've saw about like military leaders. Even when you think about command, you know, the commander in chief. So initially it was just like a, military leader and it was interesting to hear you say that you've been in a marine so i was like oh, okay there that's where that connection comes from but ultimately when i think about the burden of command um i think of command as a leader 
And so when I think about the phrase, the burden of command, it really speaks to me in a sense that, you know, what is the responsibility of the leader? And so when that phrase comes to mind, that that's kind of um, where I'm going with that. Okay. Yeah. And uh, no, that's good. And, and that's, uh, you know, that's where a lot of people get to. And, and, you know, there are a lot of military connotations there to it. And, um, you know, it's, it's very interesting. This is what I love to hear everybody's answer to that question, right? Is I love to hear everybody's uh, take on it. And, you know, I appreciate, uh, appreciate your take. Um, I'm just curious. So when it comes to leadership, like what is your core philosophy on leadership, I guess? My core philosophy on leadership is just, I, I personally believe that a leader is someone who has the influence to help motivate, encourage people and really bring out the best in them. Um, my philosophy on leadership is just to connect with people and to lead with empathy and compassion. And I think that, you know, when we lead with empathy and compassion and assume positive intent, then we have, you know, better connections and better interactions with people. Oh, no, I love that, especially the the assume positive intent or at, at the very least, assume no ill intent. Right. Because I think that's where a lot of our conversations today, uh, just in general, uh, regardless of the topic, tend to go off the rails right off the bat is everybody wants to assume the other uh, party has some type of ill will. And then the conversation really starts off of a bad foot. And it's hard to have these crucial conversations that we need, right? Absolutely. One of the things that uh, uh, you do with your organization uh, is you use a lot of data analytics uh, to help leaders kind of understand their culture and build their teams. How can data help somebody uh, understand their organization better and, and figure out what their culture is, what it needs to be, and and how to build a better team? <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, um, what we do with Culture Index is we measure people based on seven work-related traits. And so with our assessment we're really able to identify and predict how people will behave and the likelihood of success in a particular role. We really can examine whether people actually have the capacity to fulfill that role based on how they like to work. Uh, we can look and identify when there is someone that is being underutilized or they're simply not being challenged enough. And then we also have the ability to determine, you know, if someone is being overutilized, we can determine, you know, how people make decisions, whether they make, you know, deductive decisions or whether they make in inductive decisions. If people really have the emotional intelligence to, you know, make a decision based on facts and data, or if they make, make decisions based on their emotions. So by using our particular platform, really what we do is we help build a team under the CEO that really helps support him so that he can, you know, drive top and bottom line growth in the organization and, you know, continuously build and grow the organization. Mm. You know, I'm interested there based on one of those data points that you, you mentioned there about being uh, 
you know, facts and data driven or are they emotionally driven? Uh, you know, there was a gentleman, Daniel Kahneman, uh, he wrote a great book uh, quite a while back called Thinking Fast and Slow uh, that kind of talked about that very concept right there and how most people believe that they make decisions in a factual, uh, data-driven manner. But the truth is humans, at least what he found at the time, humans are typically making decisions from that emotional place. Is that something that you still see in data today or has that made a shift? Um, I think it's it's it differs depending upon the individual because it really um, we measure some one of our traits that we measure for is called logic and we measure logic based on a scale from zero to ten um, with someone being an eight nine or ten having a above average degree of logic and people that have a above average degree of logic they make decisions strictly based on facts and data whereas someone who may have like a zero one two or a three we would consider that a little bit um less than average degree of logic and those people are going to make decisions basically you know based off their emotions so um someone with a high degree of logic while they are not people who are unempathetic but if there was a situation where it came down to, you know, say they had to fire someone or reprimand someone, they are going to make the decision on how to proceed with that based on the facts and the data that have been presented to them based upon, I mean, rather than, you know, based upon how they feel about that person. Mm. Well, that makes sense. I mean, uh, so it, it seems to me like part of what you do there and correct me where I'm wrong is you use this data to help people understand which types they have and what roles they best fit in the organization? Absolutely. That is absolutely how we use uh, that data. Because, you know, if you really, if you think about it, and it's not to say that someone who does make emotional decisions, um, that they can't be a good manager. But when you think about someone, you know, in a leadership role, and they really have to make decisions based upon, um, you know, if they're going to write somebody up, you know, or base or if they have to fire someone, do you want someone in a position who could potentially be a little bit more compromised based upon how they feel about that person or how they feel about that it, uh, situation? Or do you want someone that's going to make a business decision? So <clears throat> that's really where, um, Something like determining a person's degree of logic can uh, make or break a situation where you're determining whether to put this person in a management role or maybe um, leave them in type of in a like a support type of role. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I mean, that that makes a whole lot of sense to me there, and I, I would imagine that even even with that data, uh, that's highly organization dependent right there there may be some organizations where you want that that calm cool calculated data driven person making the decisions but there may be some other organizations where it's maybe a little bit more important to have the the feeler empathetic type in those positions right 
Absolutely. It de- it depends on the organization. It depends on the role. It depends on, you know, the job function. Uh, it depends on several different factors, but that's why when we consult with a particular company, we're not only just looking at whether this person fits the particular role. We look at the CEO. We look at the team. Uh, we determine if this individual is going to be a good cultural fit for the team that already exists. Uh, we determine, you know, if this person really has the capacity to fulfill that role. So like, say, for instance, maybe someone is a, I don't know, a mental health counselor, you know, <laughs> you, uh, you would, you know, potentially you would want that person to be a little bit more empathetic than someone who um, maybe just strictly, you know, facts and disease decisions driven someone who may be a little bit better suited to a more analytical role yeah definitely definitely no i mean that that makes again that makes perfect sense i mean when you look back and at some of the uh, uh some of the big economic disasters in the country let's go back to 2008 uh you know a lot of people you, there were some bad lending practices period but they you know the, there's some evidence out there that kind of shows what brandy's talking about here you know, having more empathetic, more feeling type people in roles making lending decisions led to predatory, what ended up being predatory lending practices because they wanted to try to make sure that everybody qualified for a home and they were qualifying for people for homes that they shouldn't have been in. Uh, so it, it can have disastrous consequences, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I love it. Well, and, and what I love about this is, and it ties very nicely into, so here at the Leadership Phalanx, uh, we talk about the 11 shields of the phalanx, and one of those is uh, build relationships and look out for your people. And and this is what you're doing. You're 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 doing it from a very data driven perspective, uh, but this is really what you're doing. You're helping leaders understand the people that they have in their organizations better to make better decisions, right? Absolutely, because really, what you're doing is. You are given what um, <laughs> what one of my clients called the red and green flags, right? So you're able to identify what are the really, really great things about this person that you probably already know anyway because they really sold themselves on their re- resume or they sold themselves on um, in their interview. But... You also are getting to determine, you know, who is this person as a human being and what are their potential opportunity areas or challenges that may present a conflict within the organization. And that's important as well. And then you wouldn't necessarily say not hire that person because of what challenges you see that they may present. But based upon our leadership uh, workshop, we teach the leadership how to better communicate, manage, motivate and delegate to people. So it's not for you to say, well, uh, this person brought up a red flag. We don't want to hire them for this position. But it is to say, if we hire them for this position, then these are the things that we need to watch out for. And this is how we manage that situation. So we teach the leadership how to bring in good people, how to hire good people, how to hire people that are fit for a role. But then we also teach them how to communicate, how to delegate, how to motivate those particular people so that we don't hire good people in the organization and then have the management team run them off. So it does help to create a better relationship with the manager 
and the team members, and it really helps support a top-down leadership model. I know one thing for me that I always kind of thought you get a raw deal um, when you work in an organization is if you don't really have access to create the type of relationships that you need to create in order to get promoted. And so with our assessment, you are encouraging the leadership to get to know their employees and build top-down relationships instead of building relationships from the bottom up. Mm. No, I like that. I mean, it sounds almost like you can use this data uh, you know, to, to really kind of target and build uh, internal coaching and mentoring programs. Absolutely. That's exactly what we do. Mm. I like that. I like that. And and how just, you know, I don't know if you have any solid numbers right off uh, hand there, but, you know, like how successful has this approach really been for folks? Our program is, yeah, I mean, it's hugely successful. I'm not sure, you know, what like specifics statistics that you're speaking to, but we have over 4,000 clients in the United States. Um, and one of the things that we really saw is, of course, you know, we've helped organizations grow and scale. That's one of the um, byproducts of, you know, working with our company is that we really help organizations grow and scale. And then we also have just helped them grow their top and bottom line. So companies, they increase their revenue. They are able to increase in size. They create better employee experiences, which in turn creates better employee retention, which um, creates more stability for the company. Because I think one thing that I've found in talking to different clients is that a lot of companies don't really um, understand the impact of employee turnover mm-hmm. on um, their revenue and their profit numbers. And so when you are turning over employees, you are looking at a couple of different factors. You're looking at the, um, the decrease in revenue Uh, Because depending upon whether this is a customer facing employee or not, a customer facing employee could cost you six and a half times their salary to turn over and a non-customer facing employee costs about three and a half times. Um, And so when you look at those numbers and then you look at the strain that that puts on other people on the team. So if an uh, employee turns over and then now you have other people on the team that are having to kind of pick up the slack until you get somebody else in there trained. Now you're looking at producti- productivity decreases on both of those jobs, right? So mm-hmm. the person, the job that they were already performing and now they have somebody else's job that they have to perform. And so now you're looking at the sh- additional stress that that's causing to that employee. And it's just like what I call a cycle of, ab- of, of abuse, right? So, <laughs> yeah. so it's like, if you don't get good people in and get the management team in, that's going to be able to treat people the way that they want to be treated, then you're going to consistently have high turnover and high turnover is going to cause your company to be unstable. Mm. Wow. Uh, And I hope that everybody listening right now hits the rewind button on that piece of information there that Brandy just laid down, because that is essential. That, that right there is, is extremely critical. I like the way you put it, that cycle of abuse. It's almost like tipping over that first domino and watching all the rest of them fall 
and there's not much you can do to stop it once that process starts, except making some drastic changes, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I don't think any organization intentionally sets out to uh, to to start that cycle. I mean, it's counterproductive to what they want to be as a business, but it's amazing how many organizations have done just that unknowingly. And I'm sure you've run into quite a few of those, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So how, and, and I want to back up here to, to one piece you said there about the red flags and the green flags, because I think that is abundantly important there is especially those green flags. Cause a lot of times for whatever reason, Americans, I think it's a human thing, but Americans tend to do it more than just about any other culture. Uh, at least they'll admit it more than any other culture. I'll put it to you that way. We love to focus on the negative. We love to focus on those red flags and, and find out reasons why not instead of find the reasons why. And it sounds like one of the things you like to do with your data there is is really kind of highlight, highlight the, the green flags, the reasons why as well, right? Absolutely. Um, I think one of the things that really helps with the culture index is that when you do our assessment, you really find out how that person likes to work and you create an opportunity for them to work within their wheelhouse. And so I'll take myself, uh, for example, um, because we have lack of data on you, but, (laughs) but um, I'll take myself for example. So I'm a person that likes to have freedom and autonomy in my work. Um, I personally would categorize myself as an introvert, so to speak, but Um, I'm more selectively social, so I have this ability to kind of like turn that social piece on and off where, um, you know, if, if it's attached to a goal, I can be really, really outgoing, but if there's not really a goal in mind, then I would, you know, just prefer to work alone and stay to myself. Um, I have... A real high sense of urgency. So I like to have really, really fast paced work. I like to work on multiple projects at one time. Like I have to keep a lot of things on my plate because um, I think that I work better under pressure. And so I create that pressure for myself to <laughs> to make sure that I'm staying on top of things and getting things done. And then I have this resilience. And so because I'm able to, you know, whatever happened yesterday to put that behind me and go forward with today being a new day, then it has made me very, very good for what I've done in the past, which is sales. I have a a 16 year uh, career in sales. And so what I just told you basically was uh, just some of the primary traits that we identify, which are autonomy, sociability, work pace and conformity. And so um, these traits, they can really help you determine who to hire for a role based upon that role's needs. So I always tell people, like, I'm not someone that you would probably want to hire to be a bank teller or I'm not someone that you would want to hire that you're going to stick in the back room and have working on spreadsheets all day. That's going to drive me nuts because. I like to work at a fast pace. I like to be on the go. I like to be on the move. So if I have to sit in front of a computer all day, staring at a screen, working on a spreadsheet, that's just not going to be a good 
role for me. And so with what we do, we're able to help identify, you know, what are these, what are this person's traits and how can we use this information to make sure that we put them in a role where they're going to be successful, but not only, you know, set them up for success in their role, but then also set them up on a team with a manager that's going to be able to manage those traits. No, I love that. I love that a lot because, you know, that ties into one of the other shields that we uh, we talk about here is, is introspection and improvement. And, you know, what Brandy just talked about here was knowing herself and what those things were. And that's extremely valuable. Like, for instance, I love hearing you, you talk about your work style because I'm sitting here like thinking to myself, man, that sounds like hell to me because, uh, you know, I'm I'm I'm. We share the resilience piece. I love pressure. I love being under pressure. I, I do think I excel at that when it's necessary. But if if somebody were creating the pressure, even if it's me, I'm going to be mad at me because I'm like, this is unnecessary. We'll, 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 deal, we'll deal with it when we need to, but this is unnecessary. <laughs> um, and, and I got to focus. Like, this is one of my downfalls is like, I need to focus on one thing at a time because I'm too easily distracted. Uh, but, but, you know, what I like there about it again is, and, and I love everything you just shared because I want folks to really realize that with the, the data that, that you collect, it seems like it gives you a really good picture of who you are. And when you understand that, and, and I think this is what you, you're talking about, you and your organization do is you help these cultures, not just kind of like throw a spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. You help these people really understand who they are and what type of environment they need to be working in and what type of environment they need to create. And that just makes things so much easier for everybody, right? Absolutely. I like to call it a win-win. It's a win-win for the organization and it's a win-win for the employee because statistics show that, um, that people leave jobs because of bad managers you know and so if we can get someone fit to a role and maybe they you know they actually love what they do but then their manager doesn't really know how to communicate with them because maybe the manager has a more diplomatic communication style and that person has a more direct communication style so those people are gonna often butt heads because a lot of times people who talk direct or, or what we call, you know, straight shooters. Sometimes they can be intimidating to other people. Um, does that mean that their communication style is wrong? No, not necessarily. As long as it doesn't have, you know, any type of malice attached to it. But when you're talking to someone who has a more diplomatic communication style, it could be a little intimidating for them. So now if you have someone that is a direct communicator and then they have a manager that's diplomatic, they could have a tendency to butt heads. So someone that's a direct communicator, they prefer to also have that same type of direct, clear, concise communication. So not only are we fitting people to a role, we're also fitting them on a team um, and teaching the leadership on how to better communicate with that person based on the style that they like to be communicating in. And a lot of times I think in the organization, or at least times when I worked somewhere, you know, for corporate America, 
I, I'm a straight shooter, and that's primarily just because I'm a country girl. You know, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm a I'm a country girl, and, and people, you know, that live in rural areas, sometimes they just they just tell it like it is, and so you know, I just kind of grew up that way. And in a sense, you know, I would hear people say, "Oh, well, Brandy, you know, she doesn't mean any harm," and I would be like, "Well, what is that supposed to mean?" But I didn't like I didn't understand, you know, and um. I think uh, a lot of times for me, it was just it was just a challenge working in an organization because people would um, use ambiguous language and I would like not understand. And so, you know, I think that what looking back on my career, I can say that when I had a great manager, I felt like they knew exactly what I needed to help me be successful, you know. And when I had someone that I didn't think was a great manager, they were kind of what I would call ragging me about little petty stuff that I didn't think was important. And it kind of made me not want to work there anymore, even if I did really, really like my job. You know, it's like if someone's coming, you're coming into work and someone is, you know, just ragging you all the time about something that you consider really, really petty that doesn't really have anything to do with work, then, you know, it just makes it uncomfortable for you. So with this, you just kind of learn the individual that you're coaching and you learn how to talk to them and adapt to that person. And you will learn how to adapt to everyone on your team as opposed to making your team adapt to your communication style. Mm. No, I like that. And and again, I agree with you 100%. That, that's me. I'm direct. It's just the country guy in me, like you said there. And, you know, I always, whenever somebody asks me for feedback, my immediate response is, are you sure? <laughs> because I will give you feedback. It's not, I'm not, but I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to do my best to tell you what you need to hear. Right. Yeah. And, and I love it. And again, those communication styles, because I'll be honest with you, that's that's probably one of the things that I struggle with the most. And I've gotten a lot better at it. It's something, you know, introspection and improvement. I've worked on it. Um, but but I have a bad tendency to misread people. So this is why I like having data like this available, because I'll try to be a straight shooter and explain it nice and clear and concise. And then they're like, well, tell me more. I'm like, OK, well, now I have to say everything. And then I'll go in and I'll say everything, but like, well, why didn't you just like give me like three bullet points? Oh, okay. <laughs> so, it, but it's difficult, right? And it takes a lot of practice and it takes putting forth effort to, to get to know your folks and collect the data like this. And that's why I love your work. It's, it's, it's sorely needed. And uh, it's nice to hear that you have 4,000 uh, ish clients across the country there, because that tells me that there's at least 4,000 organizations out there that are taking this serious enough uh, to want to build these great places to work, to want to dive into this data. And, well, when there's 4,000 people doing it, that gives you a little bit of hope for the future, right? Absolutely. Because I think one of the things about the workforce of the future is that it's, it's going to have to be more inclusive. And I think that um, for me, um, that's something what we're seeing from millenn from millennials. I think millennials are really pushing that, you know, that they, they, they don't want to work in places like they don't want to go to work for 30 years in a job that's like destroying them mentally. You know, mm -hmm. they want to have, you know, flexibility in their work. They want to work 
and have meaning, you know, in their work and they want to feel, you know, included like it's a collaboration as opposed to it's an authoritarian dictatorship at work, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, a hundred percent. And thank you for saying that. Cause that's something I've been trying to preach to organizations for a while now is, you know, there was that big statistic that would get thrown around about, you know, millennials change jobs on average of, I think it got down to like every year and a half or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they always wanted to use that as a negative against millennials. I'm sitting here thinking like, you got to stop and look at this the other way. What are you doing wrong that makes them want to change jobs that frequently? Right. Yeah. I mean, cause like you just said, and I love it. You hit all the points that I make too. <laughs> See, we, we, we definitely are fellow Tennesseans here. Cause it is <laughs> that, that sense of purpose. The, the, you know, this old school mentality of you got to pay your dues. Well, look, you got to look at the time where millennials were really kind of coming into their own. The workforce was was terrible. Uh, they didn't they weren't able to come straight out of college and go straight to work right away. So a lot of them ended up having kind of no other choice but to go and get advanced degrees, uh, do uh, volunteer opportunities to try to get some experience in their resumes. And so they're coming into organizations or they were coming into organizations. We're, we're seeing more of a transition to Generation Z now. Millennials are starting to get into these positions of influence, like Brandy was saying. But they were coming in with all this experience. They didn't need to prove themselves from day one. They had already done it. They wanted to be valued and part of the conversation. And, and that value, that employee engagement, that loyalty, those are the things that, that great organizations really strive for right absolutely and and it starts at the top and it flows down yeah it really does it really does and and that's where if you're having trouble getting that going reach out to somebody like brandy they can come in and help you get right on the on the right track there and it 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 it's not a sign of weakness to admit that you don't have the skill set as a leader to do this it's actually kind of a sign of strength that you understand again introspection and improvement that you say, Hey, I need Brandy to come help me out because I care about my employees that much. Right. Yeah. I I think the only weakness that, that anyone has is just, you know, being too prideful to understand that maybe I need to look within and change some things about myself or change some things about the way that I view things um, in order to, you know, make my organization greater, especially if you're having high employee turnover. Yeah. Well, now we've already kind of touched on this a couple of times already, but you, you mentioned employee turnover. And, and one of the things that your data can can do is really help organizations hire the right people for the right role to reduce employee turnover. Now, that makes a little bit of sense, I would say, to most people when you're talking about promoting, but how do you do that when they're bringing on new hires? Well, the way that we do that when we're bringing on new hires is we have something that we call uh, the C-job. And so with the C-job, we work really closely with the organization and we determine 
um, what are the traits that are needed in a particular role. And when I say when we work with the organization, not only do we work with the leadership, but we work with people that are going to work directly um, to support that particular role. And we really figure out, you know, what is it that we're looking for in this person that's going to set them up for success. So what we do with the C job is we, you know, we provide that questionnaire. We determine what those traits are. And with the C filter, when someone applies to that role, we're able to do a percentage match to determine how closely that person matches what it is that we're looking for. And so with that information, of course, the organization still needs to do interviews, but we're able to create a better short list of more qualified candidates for that particular position. Mm, I love that. And I hope people uh, heard exactly what you just said there, because too many times hiring especially like the position descriptions and things like that are left to some poor HR professional that knows HR fantastic, but they don't understand necessarily the job that needs to be done. The, the necessarily the, the mental capacity, meaning, uh, you know, the, those soft skills, the interpersonal type skills that are needed for the job. And by going to the people who are there doing it, that are going to be working with somebody I imagine you, you, your method uh, really has a much higher success rate than just kind of traditional hiring, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and it sounds like it doesn't take that much effort. So why would an organization want to do it? <laughs> That's a million dollar question, Earl. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, folks, listen. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, if you're listening and you're getting ready to do hiring, I'm going to tell you right now. Reach out to Brandy and and uh, go through this exercise. Uh, as she mentioned, the statistics uh, before about the six and a half times or the three and a half times uh, replacement uh, value. I mean, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. There's a, and I'm sure you probably heard this story, and I've shared it on here a couple of times, and I think they still do it. But Zappos used to pay people to leave their organization because it was cheaper for them to go away at a certain point than it was for them to uh, stick around and provide poor customer service and that. And and when you're, when, when you are offering people money and they still want to stick around, that tells you you've, you've found the right person, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we talked about hiring. We talked about data. We've, we've hit a lot of the, the high points of what uh, Brandy and, and your organization do. But I'm really interested. So, again, as I've explained to my listeners here a few times, uh, you know, I work with a few, uh, few folks who help me find guests for the show. And I was connected to, with Brandy through my good friends Tom and Karen Schwab at Interview Valet uh, and, and their folks there. And they, they provide me with some kind of a, a fact sheet, if you will. And one of the bullet points I love on here uh, that I really want to hear is the top reasons your team may be underperforming. So what are some of the top reasons your team may be underperforming? Well, the, the number one reason that your team may be underperforming is that you didn't hire the right person for the right role in the first place. Yeah, it's that critical, huh? Absolutely. And I would say the number two reason is that you have a manager 
that's in a position that doesn't know how to communicate, motivate, or manage that person in particular. And then I personally would venture to say that one of another reason would be that someone got promoted to a management position who doesn't care about people. Because mm. if you don't care about people, then you can't develop them. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if you don't care about people, then you're not going to care about making sure that other people are set up for success. Sometimes I think that because, you know, people have different motivations. So one of the things in the culture index that we've highlighted is that people have four, pretty much four main motivations. One of them is financial incentive. The other one is a uh, title. Uh, one of them is, you know, people are motivated by being able to interact with other people. And then four people are motivated by knowledge. So say you have someone in a role that is motivated by having a title, but they don't like people. So, you know, do you really think that this person is going to help bring out the best in someone else when they really just wanted the position just so they could say that they're a manager or a supervisor or a director, but they really don't care about seeing other people develop and they're not necessarily interested in seeing someone come past them? So, <laughs> so you know, those are things, you know, I, I tell people that a lot of times when we think about the work, Pay the workplace, we kind of create this utopian environment where we think that people are robots and they come in and they leave all their human behavior at the door. Well, we can see that that's not true. And so, <laughs> so <laughs> you know, we have to look at, you know, the ways that we have done this wrong. We have to be able to admit that, hey, this happens sometimes. You know, managers aren't always in the position for the right reasons. People aren't always promoted for the right reasons. But if you put someone in a position that, really just wanted to be there so that they could have a title and they really don't care about helping other people excel, then what do you think is going to happen to that person's team? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, exactly that. I, I love it. And you know, and it, it, it's knowing that reason, right. I think is, is the critical piece here because, um, you know, I, I like to still talk about, I know he was kind of cliche back in the eighties and nineties to talk about Sun Tzu, uh, but, you know, from a historical perspective, there's still a lot of wisdom there. And, and one of uh, the things that Sun Tzu said was, uh, as a general rule, never attack a heavily fortified position. Well, what, what Brandy's saying here is, is intel. You get intel as to what motivates that person, what their heavily fortified position is. And so let's say it's the financial incentive. And correct me if I'm wrong here, because so, I may be way off base with what you found out, but... Uh, to me, this is how it makes sense. It's not a bad thing that the person is motivated by finances, that they want the job because they want more money. How can you use that to motivate them to care more about their employees, tie their bonus to you know, some type of employee satisfaction rating or employee retention rating and use that thing that 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 they care the most about? to kind of lead them to caring about the things that they should care the most about, right? Earl, you hit it spot on. 
Um, and I think that's a, another thing with the culture index that really helped me um, kind of come back into my own and come back into, you know, having a better understanding of self is that it's, it's okay. Like it's okay. If someone is motivated by money, it's also okay. If someone is a direct communicator, it doesn't mean that that person is wrong. It's just that people are different and everyone is hardwired differently. And I think a lot of times in organizations and just in interactions with people, a lot of times people just try to control people and they want people to think the way that they think or they think that, you know, their way is right and the other person's way is wrong. Well, that's not really the approach that we should take. We should take the approach that, hey, this person is different. They think differently than I do. They work differently than I do. But what can I do to help make sure I understand this person and work more efficiently together? How do I create um, a space where we can work together more efficiently? And that's really what the culture index does. But you hit the nail right on the head when you said that when you figure out someone's motivation, then you're better able to help incentivize them. Absolutely. Mm. No, I love it. I love it. It's uh, and I like what you said there too, because it's. I love to kind of pull this kind of fast one on folks. I'll ask them. Said so. You've all heard it before. There's only two ways to do something, right? There's the wrong way, and then there's my way. And usually somebody <laughs> will chime up and say, "No." The truth is, there's only two ways to do something: the way that succeeds and the way that fails. Whatever that is, that's the only two ways you got, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. It. <laughs> I love it. Well, Brandy, look, we've been chatting here for going on about 45 minutes, and I have loved every second it's passed by. Uh, again, I've said it a few times. I love what you're doing. I love the fact that you you found a way, because a lot of times a lot of times data can be viewed as as kind of cold and 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 a very uh methodical and uncaring way of of leading, but you found a way, in my opinion. To, to use data to make it more uh, more warm, more personable, more empathetic uh, decisions. And, and I love that. I love the fact that you've kind of really changed the data game when it comes to leadership and culture. So I want to thank you for, for doing that uh, piece right there. That is a big accomplishment. Uh, well, thank thank you so much. I wish I could take all of the credit, but uh, <laughs> but thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love it. I love it. it you know, before we uh, before we work to kind of close out here, I'm just curious: is there anything that we didn't get a chance to cover that you really want to leave the audience with before we close out? The only thing that I would really want to leave the audience with is, hey, if there's anyone out there that really finds some value in having a non-biased assessment of your team, um, I'm very open to having a conversation with you. I would love for you to contact me so that we can provide that information to you. We do uh, what we call a demo, which is an assessment, and we uh, really get down to the nitty gritty about you know the type of team that you have and really if 
the capacity that they have to help achieve your 2021 goals or, you know, even your five-year strategic plan. So um, I love to talk to people. I love meeting new people. I love the network. So if anyone wants to have a non-biased assessment of their team, they want to do a demo, then just um, visit my website at www.brandymccarley.com. And that is Brandy with the Y, B-R-A-N-D-Y. And McCarley is M-C-C-A-R-L-E-Y.com. And you can schedule a um, 30-minute consultation or discovery call with me so that we can talk about, you know, your team's needs and get that demo set up for you. Mm, I love that. Yeah. And, and look, folks. Uh, I highly recommend that that you do that and do that quickly, you know, with uh, with with covid kind of winding down. Hopefully I'm knocking on wood here that it keeps trending the way it has been and organizations looking to kind of reintegrate and bring people back on site. uh, I think this would be a great time for people to reach out to you and kind of uh, use this forced reset button to its fullest potential by doing one of these assessments. What do you say? Absolutely. (laughs) <laughs> so what am I going to say? No to business? Come on, Earl. <laughs> All right, folks, look, uh, you know, Brandy's already left her contact information there and I will have those in the show notes. But Brandy, again, thank you very much for spending the last uh, close to 50 minutes or so here with uh, with my listeners and I. I've enjoyed it. I really appreciate what you're doing. Just keep on trucking, keep on making a difference out there. And uh, I wish you all the success that uh, that can, you can handle in 2021. Thank you so much, Earl, for having me. I've had a really, really great time talking with you. I love it. Me me as well. Me as well. And uh, you, you've been great. And I love what you're doing. And listeners, I know that you've loved what Brandy had to say here. Uh, so be sure you reach out. Like I said, these links are going to be in the show notes. Uh, reach out. Take that that free demo that she was just talking about. Uh, if nothing else, you get to see whether it's going to work for you or not. Spoiler alert, it will. Um, but reach out, make the appointment and, uh, you know, treat your team as a return to a better workplace. I think that'd be a great way to reward everybody from dealing with the pandemic to bring them back into a better, more aware, uh, workplace with a better culture. Um, so if you have any comments, questions, or concerns for me about this episode, uh, you know how to reach out burden.command at gmail.com. I want to thank all of you for being with us and, and listening to the great conversation that Brandy and I just had. Uh, be sure that you continue to subscribe, rate, review, and share the show out. It helps on all of those different metrics that the uh, podcast aggregates use to uh, make this show more visible and help my great guests like Brandy uh, share their message further and reach more people. So thank you for doing that and continuing to do that. And uh, with that, again, thank you for your time. I really appreciate you all choosing to spend, you know, a good hour of your day with me and my guests. And I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you again in the next episode. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. 
We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electricast. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast. Back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interview. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.